Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Thanks, Utsile. It's five and a half minutes past 12. This is a Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. Uh, still to come, we're looking at the fight for control of uh, Adcock Ingram between uh, Chile's uh, FCR Pharmaceuticals and uh, Bidvest uh, raging on. So that's the story that uh, we'll be looking at. Uh, with uh, Ron Klippin, who is a portfolio manager at Kratos Wealth, just to find out what is going on there. And uh, we are uh, to South uh, Sudan, uh, Juba, as you heard, the situation there also intensifying, so that's uh, the story that uh, we'll be looking at. Sporadic sporadic gunfire rang out in the capital, Juba, overnight as uh, the military cleared out what it calls remnants of a faction of soldiers accused of mounting a coup d'etat there. So we'll be talking to a representative from government and hopefully we'll talk to a reporter from that part of uh, the world. But uh, to our top story this hour, as you may have heard, the NUMSA Special Congress is underway right now in Boxberg. It's been reported that it's been snapped by Trapata Alliance partners. Not a single representative of COSATU, the ANC or the SACP's leadership is mentioned on the four-day program. The Congress is scheduled to discuss the crisis in the Labour Federation relations within the alliance and the 2014 election. Uh, General Secretary Irvin Jim, when asked if invitations were sent to members of uh, the alliance, uh, he answered that uh, uh, indeed, yes, yes, uh, the invites were sent out. Let's talk to Carl Klute now, who is uh, the uh, Deputy General Secretary at NUMSA. Mr. Klute, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon and uh, good afternoon to your listeners. Will it be correct for us to read the situation in that particular way that uh, the alliance partners have snubbed your Congress? Well, um, as the NUMSA leadership, we decided on the 11th of August that we need to convene a special NUMSA National Congress to consider what we think is a crisis and paralysis in Kusatu, what we think constitutes a very serious uh, problem within the alliance, what we think we should be reflecting on with respect to how we approach the 2014 elections. We have invited um, the ANC leadership, the SSDP leadership, KUSATU and KUSATU affiliates on the basis that they would be guests, and we did not make provision for any speeches because we have a convention of workers to decide on these critical areas to debate them and therefore if they had resolved to snub or do anything we do not have sleepless nights over that. But uh, what was the, the, the response from the, the partners that uh, the alliance partners that you invited? Did they confirm well, that we indeed can, they were coming? We can confirm that the invitation, the size of the delegation was sent to um, all our invited guests on the 6th of November, we have not had any response to those requests. But as I say, this successful NUMSA Special National Congress in Boxburg, Ikurleni, is proceeding extremely well. And uh, we do not have any particular problem uh, with respect to those who have chosen not to attend. We'll come back to the discussions taking place at the Congress, but uh, just to, to, to 
uh, clarify this matter of uh, inviting uh, alliance partners. Who did you invite? Uh, senior, just mentioned senior leaders at, SA, at ANC. There's uh, uh, Gwede Mantashe there, who's Secretary General at uh, the SACP. There's Blade Zimande. There's Dumud Lamini, who's the president uh, of uh, COSAT. Who did you invite? Well, as for protocol and as we usually do, we addressed uh, any invitation to the attention of the office of the secretaries of the respective organizations. And in that respect, we are satisfied that they have indeed received um, our uh, request for them to be part of this Congress and to participate. And uh, I can confirm that we've had no confirmation from any of the organizations, including Kusatin. Does it concern you, though, that uh, they, they have not responded? No, we're absolutely not concerned whatsoever. Before we come to the uh, Congress itself, uh, there's, a, there's an open letter here penned by SACP to the Congress, and I'm sure you've, uh, you've seen that letter and you've read the content of it. But I just want to highlight a few uh, issues here. Frustrated personal ambitions that, of course, uh, 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 coming out of uh, what uh, Cedric Ginner, the former president of uh, NOMSA, has said. We told uh, uh, that uh, uh, Irvin Jim, the, uh, the general secretary now, went to President uh, Jacob Zuma in and asked that uh, the suspended uh, General Secretary of COSATU, Zolinzi Mavavi, be made a Deputy President at Mangawung, and when that failed, then uh, all hell broke loose, as it were. What do you make of that? Well, three things to say very quickly. The first one is that the South African Communist Party Central Committee statement and every other statement thereafter has been uh, peddling of lies and absolute lies, they would have to respond to the broader South African public on their accusations. I must say on the record that NUMSA attorneys have issued the South African Communist Party General Secretary Bladen Zamande and the SCCP with a legal letter in which we are indicating to them that we shall take them to the courts of law to, to demonstrate the defamation and the character assassination that they're busy with. I can tell the South African public very, very proudly that none of the things the South African Communist Party allege is true, and they will have eggs on their face when we deal with them in court because they will have to produce that Irvin Jim is a businessman, that Carl Klutzer is a businessman. All they have to do is to go to the register of companies and get that information. But we know now that what the Vanguard is occupying itself is open letters. They had an opportunity to come and address and speak to uh, delegates in NUMSA Congress and uh, they were very cowardice to run away and do open letters, and that has the only intention to sow division within uh, NUMSA and its membership. It's a four-day Congress uh, that uh, you are embarking on right now. It started today. Uh, but uh, one central issue really that uh, I guess a lot of South Africans will be looking uh, out for is whether NUMSA is parting ways with uh, COSATU. What can you tell us at this stage about that? Well, completely the opposite. Um, our discussion documents and what our commissions would look into 
is how do we reclaim Kusatu as an independent, democratic, worker-controlled, militant and revolutionary federation? And how do we ensure that Kusatu is not turned into a toy telephone or a labor desk of those who want to advance a new liberal capitalist agenda that will not lift our people out of poverty, out of unemployment, out of inequality. So, NUMSA Congress will discuss that. But NUMSA Congress will also discuss, because we know that in the November Central Committee there were affiliates such as the likes of Popcrew who were clear that NUMSA must be expelled from Kusatu. The end resolution was that the Kusatu National Office Bearers must probe the conduct of NUMSA. So we await the decision and outcome of that investigation. But we're not just walking away from Kusatu, but we're going to be asking very difficult questions and find some resolutions to those questions we would be posing to ourselves. Carl Kluter, thank you very much. He is uh, NUMSA's Deputy General Secretary. As you heard, the four-day special congress of uh, that union has kicked off uh, at uh, the Birchwood Hotel that is uh, on Gauteng's East Rand. Let's stay with uh, this issue, but now turn to Alex Mashilo, who is uh, the South African Communist Party's uh, spokesperson. Mr. Mashilo, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, to the listeners as well, and uh, to Comrade Carl Kluder, who just spoke now. You'll be interested in noting that uh, the uh, NUMSA is not planning to go away uh, to leave Kosatu, but uh, they, they, they are saying they, they are plotting uh, how to reclaim Kosatu, and uh, you are an interested party there. What's your views? Now, firstly, there are certain uh, issues that need to be clarified to the public which uh, Carl made uh, statements about. He said that uh, the South African Communist Party, the ANC, and other organizations were invited to Kosati Congress in October. I can put it to you that on 21 November 2015, at half past one, I received an email from the coordinator of NUMSA Special National Congress, Alex Ramacho, reading as follows. I'm in the process of sending out invitations to NUMSA Special National Congress, and among others, have to send the following, ANC number one, SACP number two, Sanko number three, YCL number four, ANC Youth League number five, Casco number six, and Cossas number seven. Do you by any chance have the contact of these comrades above? I was the one requested the contact, and that was 21 November. And the following day, I replied by supplying the contact details of all of those organizations, except of Cossas, all right? And since I supplied those particular contacts, I can confirm that as the South African Communist Party, we did not receive any single invitation from NUMSA about attending their conference. Instead, on the contrary, I have made follow-ups. And the last follow-up I have made about attending their Congress was yesterday, okay? So we didn't receive. So these things that Carl is talking about, that we ran away from attending their Congress, are untrue. Okay, and but, I'm but why, why, would, so why, would NUMSA, why would NUMSA not invite uh, the alliance partners? No, I'm putting it to you, and I can send the email for you to see. 
that I received an in, in, email on 21 November 2013 mm. asking me the contact of all those organizations. I'm, I'm, Why I'm, would NUMSA have not made the invitations later on that would be known to them? Okay? So I was just clarifying uh, the incorrect information that we were uh, sending invitation in October. Okay. On the contrary, on 21 November, I was asked on behalf of all these organizations, their contacts. We got that. All right. Okay, that's that's clear. Now, the, the question that I was uh, asking uh, Mr. Mashila is that now NOMSA is saying that they are staying uh, uh, inside Kosatu, but what they want to do right now is to reclaim Kosatu. What is your view on that uh, particular question? We will be very glad for NUMSA to stay inside Kosatu. We have called for the unity of Kosatu. Because in our view as the South African Communist Party, a split from Kosatu, divisions in Kosatu, can only work in the interest of the bosses who exploit the workers. But reclaiming Kosatu cannot be a factional thing. Kosatu belongs to all its affiliates, and members of all its affiliates, and has to be approached in within the spirit of unity as well as the spirit of collectivity on how all of the Kosatu's affiliates move together in unity to realize the purpose for which Kosatu was founded and the objectives for which Kosatu has to realize under the present circumstances. Mm. Your letter, your open letter to NUMSA Special Congress delegates, really is, is very scathing, some would say. You are saying now that uh, uh, the resignation letter from uh, former President uh, uh, Cedric Gina has lifted a veil. Uh, you're confirming a whole lot of things, including your, uh, the, the allegation or reported uh, uh, allegation, as it were, that uh, um, the, 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 sec- the General Secretary of, of NUMSA, Evan Jean, uh, Jim, met with the President of the Republic and they discussed the issue of getting Zolinzi Mavavi, the suspended General Secretary of Kosato, to be the Deputy President. So when that did not happen, uh, there was anger. Uh, at uh, at uh, Numsa, particularly Ivan Jim, and that's why we see what we're seeing. Just explain that for us, and how did you arrive at that? And that uh, the two also are, are running businesses, and uh, uh, that's why they 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 pushing the line that they are pushing. Now, in the first place, uh, we say that uh, the let the resignation letter of Numsa President uh, Cedric Gina, who confirmed to have attended a meeting with Ivan Jim, with Comrade Zuma in KZN at uh, Ngandla, and who further confirmed that as part of the records of that meeting, Ivan Jim raised the name of Comrade Jolindzi Mavadi for the position of ANC's uh, deputy president, and by so doing, repositioning Jolindzi Mavadi for the position of the state deputy president come 2014 elections. The reason why we are raising that is because these things, these maneuvers were happening in the context where Ivan Jim and the others were leading an onslaught against the Communist Party, in particular against the participation of the leading cadres of the party in the tripartite alliance government as led by the African National Congress. We are highlighting a contradiction that in the one hand, you are calling upon the party not to participate in this government, but in the other hand, you are busy engaging into maneuvers and unmindated reflections of a lobby to get Comrade Vazi into the position of the ANC uh, uh, president and later that of the state president. We are highlighting that thing to show that there is a contradiction here. And this constitutes a set of hypocrisy.
Because in our view, this was linked with another ambition for Ivan Jim to become the General Secretary of Kosato. And just to clarify the other issues of uh, which you raised in relation to particular allegations, we raised a number of questions. And question number one was, what is the relationship between NUMSA staff after account, the annual track S&B account, and Brevity 12? That is not an allegation. That is a question. And we have uh, raised, we have posed a series of other questions and said the comrades must come out to explain and provide answers to these questions okay. in the spirit of water control as well as accountability. We will revisit this, uh, this issue. Thank you very much, uh, Alex Mashilo. Uh, he is uh, the spokesperson for the South African Communist Party. It's uh, 22 minutes past 12. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. Further afield, fresh gunfire has erupted overnight in the South Sudanese capital, Juba. This comes a day after the government announced it had quashed an attempted coup. There are reports of heavy weapons being fired near a military headquarters just outside Juba. Several thousand people have taken refuge at two United Nations compounds. Yesterday, President Salva Kiir blamed soldiers loyal to his dismissed former deputy, President, that's Rick Macha, for the violence, but said the government is now in control. Joining us on the line right now to give us the latest is Sudan People's Liberation Movement National Secretary for External Relations, Susan Jambo. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you from Juba. And, and how is Juba this afternoon? Uh, this afternoon, I think from this morning, um, it's almost uh, returning back to normal, except for, of course, the occasional uh, military uh, uniformed uh, personnel around providing protection for civilians. But some of the shops have started opening, and people are moving around, some cars are moving around. So it's, it's, it's pretty much um, that you, you, you notice that the government is actually in control of the situation compared to yesterday uh, and the night before. Mm. And, and, and yesterday, the night before, was it an indication that uh, the, the government was caught off guard? Yes, in a way, somehow in a way it was, because um, the, the initial attack was on the Republican guards, uh, the guards that normally guard the, the Republican palace, where the president normally meets officially. Um, but that was on them by also military personnel, uh, people in military uniform, and uh, it was a sudden thing. I mean, you can see people wearing the same uniform as you are, and then suddenly shooting at you. And so it was totally um, uh, off guard, basically. And when the other uh, military personnel came from inside to boost uh, the number guarding from the outside, it was they were outnumbered. So basically, yes, it was totally off guard. Yeah. From the information that you've received, who is behind the attacks? Well, our information so far, it, 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 it appears as though it's an insider job, um, hence what the president yesterday referred to in the afternoon, press conference yesterday afternoon, uh, that it was um, from uh, military personnel or soldiers perceived to be uh, aligned or um, loyal to uh, the former uh, vice president, uh, Dr. Riyak Mashal. So these are the initial findings, and um, and because there are still pockets of these attacks within the army barracks, it, it is also a further indication that it is indeed from from inside. 
unfortunately. And and really, there were fears as far back as, as June, July, when uh, the, the president sacked the entire government. Maybe, maybe let's start right there, really. Uh, didn't the, the, the president, Salva Kiir, uh, really uh, uh, look ahead and, and look at the, the, the implications of, of sacking the entire government and, and some, some members of senior several policemen uh, and, and, and his vice president? Well, um, the, the, the question is, two, almost two years down the road from the, from, from the, our independence and uh, hardly any qualitative service delivery to the population uh, has become a, 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 a major thing. I mean, the, the, Thomas Salvatore, the president and his current, uh, then current government, uh, former government, was already almost halfway through its tenure from, being, uh, from after being elected in 2010. So issues of service delivery and especially after independence, the promises to the people, uh, became uh, more and more uh, paramount and important to us. The president made this decision was based on the fact that the government was poorly uh, performing, if any at all. And so it wasn't um, and any, uh, it wasn't perceived by the people, the population particularly, and the SPLM um, with, with its grassroots following, that that was a move towards the right direction, and um, that is why there were no calls for alarm or any problem, even though we were also, of course, uh, apprehensive or, or, or tense. Um, and, of course, the president always extended his, his, his hand towards uh, national healing and reconciliation, so obviously that was a continuation as well, that even though these decisions were made, however, within the, the, the SPLM as the ruling party, we will continue to dialogue. And so it continued like that at, in, in a controlled kind of manner that, you know, even though people have been sacked, individuals, individuals who are party nominees to the government, but still they're very much members, active members of the party. But up until the National Liberation Council meeting two days ago, which was concluded, um, it showed that, uh, that the membership of the National Liberation Council is over 200 uh, over 90%, over 98% almost, or 96%, sorry, were present and did not boycott the meeting. It showed also further that, you know, the dialogue and the spirit of togetherness within the party is paramount. So it is really individuals within the party that, that have uh, decided to go that way. Mm. And uh, does uh, President Salva Kiir still uh, enjoy maximum support within this Sudanese People's Liberation Movement? Definitely, definitely. I mean, the meeting 14 to 15 November by the National Liberation Council, which is the highest organ within the party, was well attended. And even though the following day, the second day of the meeting, which was the 15th of December, uh, the group led by Dr. Yak Marshall and, and um, notably other SACT members uh, from, from the executive so on the 23rd of July, uh, who are also members of the SPLM, there are about 12, 11 to 12 of them walked out of the work of the meeting. The rest of the National Liberation Council members, which is well over uh, 180% person, um, then it gets remained in the room. And then we continued the, 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 the deliberation. We managed to pass the basic documents to regulate the party, uh, etc. And in a way, forging a way forward for the party, more formidably, more stronger, stronger and even cleaner. 
Okay. We got you. Thank you very much, Susan Jumbo, who is uh, uh, the uh, with the Sudan People's Liberation Movement uh, as PLM as the National Secretary there for External Relations. Let's stay with this story, but now talk to Andrew uh, Atta Asamo, who is a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies here in South Africa. Uh, Mr. Atta Asamo, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. Thanks also for joining us. Let's try and understand uh, what, what is going on in Sudan. But first, I mean, when, when this uh, newest country in the world really uh, was created after uh, cessation from uh, North Sudan, everyone thought that, uh, in fact, there was hope. And uh, it's not even two years, three years, then the country is uh, plunged into uh, violence and, and what do you make of this generally? Well, um, you're right that it's, it's a country that got independence with a lot of hopes um, around it. But if you look at the background to their independence, the fact that they fought for so long, the fact that they were marginalized and therefore they had very little infrastructure, you also then appreciate the fact that they stepped into independence with a lot of um, crucial fault lines in the country along the lines of over-militarization, along the lines of military dominance of the political landscape, as well as underdevelopment. And all of these within the context of the high expectations. Certainly, I, from my, where I sit, was not going to be very easy for them to have it um, the way we really expect. Mm. But what is happening now are initial indications of real challenges um, and divisions within the SPLM. And, and what is at the heart of it? Because uh, a, a while back we, we thought it's the issue of uh, that uh, oil pipeline that runs through from north to south. Uh, and, and, but now it would appear that it's even uh, closer to home. It's, it's inside the, the ruling party there. Yes, um, well, we have a lot of challenges with Sudan, and those are on an, an entirely separate level. Now, they have a lot of deep-seated divisions um, within the current crop of political leaders, and largely within the SPLM, because they are the liberators, and they are the ones um, who are leading the whole struggle you know, to develop the country. So what we are seeing now, as you said, the core of it is the deep-seated divisions within the political leadership now. But within that, you have two, um, largely two groups. You have those who feel that the current president, Salva Kiel, is trying to undo the legacy of um, um, George Garang. And so you have those who are largely pro-Garang, and you have those who are largely um, Salva Kiel as well. Now, the, if you look at the history of South Sudan, some of these things, because of the power, individual power poles and the way the SPLM and the army emerged, you end up with packets of loyalties in the army as well, which has implications on decisions that are made. So these divisions, exacerbated by some media reactions and decisions by the president, it's worsening a lot of the divisions that we know. We know about the second of the cabinet and the tension that has existed in the country since then. And many of these have been manifesting in what we are seeing now. And, and, and that move, uh, 
uh, immediately raised fears of increased instability and even fresh outbreaks of violence. Was he right, the president, uh, to, to adopt that move to fire the entire cabinet, even the deputy president? No, I think that the, the president had a bit of support across the board um, around the fact that, you know, the motivation for sacking the cabinet was to try and bring in new you know new energy to to pursue the vision of providing the public good for the people. I think that the timing and then the political interpretations of that move, the fact that it came after Rick Marshall had declared his intentions of contesting the chairmanship of the SBLM. And in South Sudan the chairmanship is an automatic, you know, um guarantee of winning presidency. The fact that timing then politicized every move that followed because many then saw it as the president's move to try and concentrate power and to deal with those who have um, other opinions or, or people who are trying to also vie for the position of presidency. So it had good intentions, but the move, the timing of it, and the context then made the its interpretation and its implication quite complicated. Thank you very much, Andrews Atta Asamoah, senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies in South Africa. The UN Secretary General has dismissed the notion that there is, uh, there is increased tension uh, between the UN and Africa, stemming from the slow pace of Security Council reform and uh, disagreements over how to proceed over Kenya's trial at the ICC. Responding to a question during his final process conference of the year in New York, Ban Ki-moon described the relationship as a strong partnership in which Africa remains the number one priority for the United Nations. We begin this report with uh, the question as posed by our UN correspondent, Sherwin Bryce Pius. There appears to be an increased tension between Africa and the United Nations. Two examples come to mind. The most recent ICC deferral request regarding the, the Kenyan appeal and then the broader question of UN reform, which, which we raise in these press conferences every year. What is your analysis of that tension? I know you've engaged with a number of heads of state from the African continent. What's your analysis and understanding of that tension? And what mitigating role, if any, can your office play in easing those tensions before they spiral out of control? Africa is number one priority for United Nations. And we are maintaining a very, very good partnership with the African the Union. So you will not be able to see such a stronger uh, partnership which has been you know, maintaining between the UN and African Union. Of course, there are some cases when we may have a difference of opinions uh, between United Nations any or specific uh, cases. So characterizing it the uh, tension between AU, uh, Africa, and United Nations may, be, may not be appropriate. He also pointed to African countries pursuing their ICC concerns at the recently concluded Assembly of State Parties, where amendments made allowing video link testimony for defendants with extraordinary public duties can now be considered by the judges. The African Union leadership, leaders, have taken very prudent and wise decisions not to take any such um, a premature, a premature decisions. When they call for an extraordinary summit uh, to deal with this um, 
Kenyan president and vice president case vis-à-vis ICC. They all gathered and they took uh, very practical uh, decisions. Uh, I was uh, deeply concerned at the time of this, uh, beginning of this crisis, that uh, there may be some conflict uh, between uh, some African countries and ICC. Now, ICC is an independent international uh, justice organization uh, whose work and mandate is distinct uh, from that of the United Nations. And their uh, mandate and their principle should be uh, fully uh, upheld and uh, respected. The Secretary General has long held the position that reforms of the UN, particularly the Security Council, is a matter for member states to decide on. Sherman Bricepeace, SABC News, New York. It's uh, 23 minutes to 1. This is uh, Midday Live, SFM 104 to 107. The Pretoria Regional Court has granted murder-accused Nico Henning 10 million rand bail, of which he has to pay 300,000 before the end of business today. He's facing charges of murder and conspiracy to murder after his estranged wife was gunned down in a drive-by shooting in November 2011. Chanel Henning had just dropped off their son at a crash in Ferry Glen, east of the city, when she was killed. Nico Henning had indicated that uh, he would be in a position to pay 5 million rand bail. Let's talk now to our reporter, Pumzile Mlangeni, on the line. Good afternoon to you, Pumzile. Afternoon, Bonnie. Talk us through today's uh, court proceedings right up to uh, the 10 million rand bail and how it's going to be split. Well, the proceedings delayed it, right? and one would understand uh, the magistrate also mentioning that this is a big case and it needs uh, such treatment. Well, he actually read out his ruling at the regional court this morning and also indicated that the 10 million that he's been granted is not because he feels he's a wealthy man and that it doesn't mean if someone is wealthy, they will get away with everything. Uh, but the main reason is that should he forfeit the bail, then he will feel the pinch and saying that he's got, um, there are chances that he will never do that as uh, this amount is too much. Also indicating that he's a very wealthy man. Although uh, Nico Enning had uh, indicated that he did pay one million rands in bail and if it means if he has to stretch out himself, he would afford uh, five million rands. But the magistrate felt that that was not enough and he's got enough money uh, to actually pay it out today. Is expected uh, to make a payment of 300,000 to the clerk of the court, and uh, by Friday he should have paid uh, the rest of the amount uh, to the court so that he uh, can uh, continue to be on bail. And uh, Chief Magistrate Desmond Ne uh, already uh, poking holes here, indicating that the state has failed to prove some of the allegations brought forward against uh, him. Uh, there is a hanging there, uh, which uh, included uh, concealing evidence. Yes, um, the way allegations were brought by the state that uh, a Nico, who happens to have uh, over 27 properties, actually uh, took some of the evidence at his uh, home in Pretoria and buried it in Hartepias, where he's got a plot today. Yes, he did agree that there were some of the things he took uh, to his home in Hartepias, but uh, doesn't agree that this was because he knew the police were coming and there were chances uh, that he might actually be arrested. Uh, that's why he actually handed himself, himself over uh, uh, on the 6th of December after being implicated by his um, 
best friend who also is uh, convicted on the same case. Mm. Uh, but then again, uh, yes, they did find uh, the state saying that the allegations also that he did acquire the service of private investigator who actually kept tabs on, uh, on, on his wife and was actually um, threatening the mother of the deceased. But he again also uh, defected on that. The magistrate also saying that, yes, although he might have said some words, that is very usual when people are involved in uh, a divorce and that he was grant that he would actually uh, feel for him on that case and saying that that doesn't mean he meant to do that. And also he said that there was no reason for him to go and, uh, Nico uh, actually highlighting there was no reason for him to go and kill uh, Shana Lenning because he said they had agreed that he, they will share custody of the child, but it's the parents of Shana Lenning who were not um, agreeing with what they had decided. So basically he put the blame on the parents and said that he had nothing to do with the matter. Thank you very much, our SABC reporter there at the Pretoria Regional Court. Chief Justice Magistrate Desmond Nair also ruling that the accused was not a flight risk, saying that he could not find any circumstances preventing the granting of bail. So there we have it. It's 10 million rand and 300,000 rand. Uh, must be paid before the end of uh, business today. It's uh, 19 minutes to one shadow twilight, better late than never. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought I was on holiday. <laughs> yeah, all my folks here, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we, we are in the holiday mood anyway. It's, uh, yes, it's really, yes. really difficult to, to work now when you see a whole lot of people just not getting up in the morning. Especially from my vantage point. I mean, people at the beach, people are doing what they do best. But listen, I'm very excited today to be talking to two of the women who are part of the 21 Icons South Africa series. Uh, the latest edition is, is custodian of stories, storyteller and poet, Dr. Trinam Shope. And we speak to accomplished marathon runner and mountaineer, Evelina Shabalala. I've been collecting these portraits, and they're absolutely gorgeous. And I'm very proud of these two ladies. Then lastly, we speak to Mike Mabasa from the Industry Association for Responsible Alcohol Use, because it is the silly season. It is, isn't it? Uh, and, and it's silly because people drink a lot, but also they spend money that they don't have. Mm-hmm. Or the bonuses that they have, but come January, there's no money. There's no money. And and buying old jalopies as well, just to get home and be seen that you are styling. <laughs> what about the clothes? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. You uh, know. Only, yeah. For, only for a week, and then after that, the reality then hits back in. So that's the sadness of it. So yeah. we need to we need to warn people right now. Indeed. Thank you very much, Shadow. We'll be seeing you between 1 and 2 this afternoon. Great radio indeed is still to come right here on SFM 104 to 107. Just when you think you missed that one conversation in that one show, no, you didn't. Catch it once again on overnight 12 midnight to 4 a.m. Here with me, Nairo Pondwa, SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. SAFM is your radio station, so we want to hear what you have to say. We value your inputs and opinions on our programming. The format works for me well. In fact, my day won't be complete without SAFM. And why have you got a SABC representative on that program? It's, it's for editors. 
not SABC reps. I love these signing programs. I love hearing everybody's comments. You know, it seems that SAFM is becoming the voice of the dominant global elite, you know, not the ordinary uh, man in the street. I think SAFM is doing a pretty sterling job. Email us, jozi safm.co.za. Fax us on 011-714-5829 or comment on our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. Thank you for taking the time to provide us with your feedback. This will be carried forward as we think about the future of SAFM's programming. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We go to Syria now where scores of people, including children, are reportedly injured following air raids on rebel area of uh, Syria's Aleppo. The watchdog Syrian Network for Human Rights says that schools and a marketplace were struck during these uh, Raids. Joining us on the line to discuss this matter now uh, is uh, the spokesperson for Syrian Network for Human Rights, Sami Ibrahim. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, sir. Please help us uh, understand the latest situation right now in uh, Syria at the uh, Aleppo region. Actually, since two days back, since 15 of this month, day before yesterday, and yesterday, and even today morning, there is a huge attack against Arab city and uh, Arab suburbs, Arab provinces at all. And more than 30, we called parallel uh, exclusive parallels. This kind of bomb, brought from helicopter, attacked several points and several civilians uh, points. It killed now more than 129 persons, among them uh, children and, and women. Attack day before yesterday, attack attack. Al-Salihiyah school killed two teachers and killed four students and even attack market at Al-Shahar neighborhood inside Aleppo and and also attack at Al-Hamidiyah neighborhood one bus station so those all of those are civilians point and this actually random using of kind this such kind of weapons is not we normally does not use it in uh, in normal uh, patterns, this actually kind of random weapons. So, so, so that uh, this such kind of high casualty numbers and all uh, was civilians. Mm. And even if if the, there is any military point inside, the size of the attack and the size of using this fire is unsuitable at all. And this is, of course, war crime and crime against humanity as there. The international material law. We documented only one rebel fighter, uh, armed rebel fighter killed, and the balance all 129 persons died, all were civilians. This is only within two days in Aleppo only. And today we documented now more than 17 persons died today also. So the, the attack is continuous, and this, the, those areas are out of uh, government uh, hands, so there is no 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 fighting or, or clashes uh, at all, but only the helicopters and only by missiles or such as kind of attack. And how are the security forces dealing with uh, the latest attacks? Actually, uh, 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 this this kind of attack normally used helicopter at high uh, at, at very high levels so 
the rebels fighter, they don't have such kind of weapon to attack this helicopter. This helicopter stand around 5,100 meters, then throw this pearl on the neighborhood. Uh, wherever this pearl came, they, they were not killed. So this killing, aim by killing only for, for that. Actually, we shocked from from the photos which our members send to us, and uh, and the blood in in, in 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 everywhere, and destroying several uh, buildings and several uh, streets in, in in very huge. And this is the greatest uh, attack uh, since uh, around four or five months ago. And uh, who has claimed responsibility for this? This actually, who's the, uh, who decide have this air plan or helicopters? Only the Assad army has this kind of weapons. And and how are you dealing with the humanitarian crisis that has uh, that has come out of this attack? There is a lot of appeals coming from inside. The ability of the hospitals are unable, of the field hospitals inside, are unable to contain all of this such size of casualty. Now we are speaking about more than 700 persons injured, among of them critical situation. So, and most of them actually try to to take them out of Syria to Turkish border or to Turkish campaign. This is a very dangerous situation, and we, we, we don't want. We, we have to remember. We, we, we don't want to forget that the, uh, also the uh, situation at Syria is, uh, now, nowadays it's, uh, it's very cold okay. uh, in, 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 in Syria. All right, uh, Sami Ibrahim, thank you very much. He is the spokesperson for Syrian Network for Human Rights. Just a couple of SMSs here. This one coming from ZZ, who's a SAMU member in East London, saying that NUMSA's General National Congress is having my full support. Don't worry about ANC SACP's refusal to attend. And this one from Lungi in Kimberley. This SACP man is lying. How can NUMSA not have the contact of the alliance partners then? They know that you simply visit their website and get the contacts. And another SMS coming through, 34701 from Pasega Makoti, saying that the SACP has become the most expensive and divisive hyena in the ANC-led Shinskip. Let's read also your tweets, just one coming from Tabiso there, at Mr. Tabiso, or Mr. Tabi, saying that at Kualapi News, the fight will not stop until Vavi is back at his job. Uh, General Secretary them Just some of your comments We welcome them 34701 It will cost you two rand But also you can uh, email us Midday live at sabc.co.za At SAFM Midday Live That's another uh, Twitter handle that uh, you can use It's uh, nine minutes Make it eight minutes to one This is Midday Live SAFM 104-107 The fight for control of uh, Edcock Ingram Between uh, Chile's FCR Pharmaceuticals And Bidvest Regis on The Chile 
Chilean drug maker, Chief Executive Officer Alejandro Weinstein, accused the state-run Public Investment Corporation, or PIC, of uh, protectionism. This follows a surprising turn of events on Friday when Chilean company raised its offer to 74.50 a share from an earlier bid of uh, 73.50, which uh, the PIC rejected. Earlier, I spoke to Ron Klip. Clippin, who is a portfolio manager at Kratos Wealth, to find out if Edcock will survive this fight. Looks like the PRC is not supporting this uh, deal. Why are they not supporting the deal? Principally because I don't think they want CFR shares. CFR shares is quite an unknown entity in terms of South African investment um, scenario. The PRC might have had a look at this deal if it was all cash. Um, and not uh, CFR shares, um, and as a result, um, they've got a big swing vote, and I, I don't think this deal is going to take place. I think also, in addition, the PRC would like the company to remain as a listed emp- entity and under a South African um, ownership. But uh, is PIC only looking at a cash deal, or is it uh, they want a cash deal only from... Uh, uh, CFR, if it was Bidvest who came with shares and cash, they would have taken that deal? They might well have taken the, the um, uh, deal. First of all, they, they don't want the mixture of CFR shares and cash which is being uh, offered. Second of all, I think they would like this to remain as a South African operated and a listed company. This is of secondary importance. And third of all, I think this gives an opportunity if the deal doesn't take place, which looks like uh, increasingly the case, that um, Joffe would be able to pick up the pieces at lower levels. So the share price theoretically now should come down, let's say pick a level of 64, 65, 66 odd rand, which means that Joffe, who's been sitting on the sidelines very comfortably and very shrewdly waiting for this sort of thing to happen. You know, he's a guy who takes his time, he doesn't rush in, he has a longer-term uh, strategy, he looks at the pros and cons of, of a deal uh, being successful or otherwise, and I think he's going to be the winner. I mean, you know, if the share price does come uh, down a good couple of rand, he can be there picking up bargains and increasing his holding. And it's a, it's a good strategy for him, but uh, is it a good strategy for PIC to stall this, uh, or at least delay this deal when you have a 74 rand 50 per share that is being offered by CFR, which is a, which is a foreign company, and you have a 65 rand per share that is being offered by a local company? Surely even the board is agitating now for this deal to go through, and they, they are preferring the 74 rand 50 per share. As I've um, stated, the, the quality of CFR is an unknown entity. They appear to be having to get some massive, massive gear, uh, gearing on the back of this uh, deal. So Adcock will help them to, to gear up by virtue of its assets. In addition, it appears that um, shareholders going with the CFR deal will only get about 17 or 18 percent of the entity in terms of the Adcock earnings uh, there. And from a regulatory accounting point of view, from a point of view of uh, high gearing by CFR, 
an unknown uh, entity and unknown people that this would be not what many or some investors in South Africa want, including the PRC. But uh, can Edcock hold it out if uh, there, there is no buyer right now, if these issues con- continue? Because we know that uh, there's, there's a court uh, a, a case right now, a matter. Yes, yes. And, and can, can Edcock really uh, sustain itself for an extended period? When you say Adcock sustain itself, it's really the shareholders which are going to make the decision on this uh, deal, isn't it? Mm. Um, Joffe sees this as a cheap share, as a potential turnaround situation. The current management don't appear to have managed the company uh, fairly well. They've spent billions of rand on this factory in Gauteng, which is operating at 20-25% capacity. And a person like Joffe, who's probably studied um, the pros and the cons, the strengths and the weaknesses of, 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 of Adcock, sees an opportunity to turn this thing around and keep it as a listed entity. So th- this is why possibly the PRC would see this as a major turnaround situation by Joffe in the, in the course of time. You know, 18 months, two years down the line, this share price could be worth a hell of a lot more than it is now under a Joffe uh, management. And, and uh, what, what's your pick? Are we going to see this uh, matter resolved uh, urgently, or are you going for a protracted uh, kind of a deal and uh, boardroom deal and courts all the way I until? I think it could be um, protect protracted deal. Um, uh, CFR don't want all the their hard work to, to go down the drain. I think they're going to fight this thing tooth and nail. That's a very interesting uh, story, that one, and uh, insights th- coming through there uh, from an analyst who has been uh, following uh, this story for a long while right now. It's uh, two and a half minutes uh, to the hour of uh, uh, one. This is Midday Live, SFM 104 to 107. The former President Nelson Mandela has been honoured in a uniquely Cape Town way the Cape Minstrels, known for the celebration of Due de Nive Yar on the 2nd of uh, January every year, adorn their bright uh, sequined outfits to honor Madiba. Zaylin Merrington reports. <laughs> The Cape Minstrels are an institution in the city. They entertain large crowds every year when they take to the streets of Cape Town with colorful costumes, swirling umbrellas, trumpets and drums. The troops consist of young and old, taking part in an age-old tradition. One of the organizers, Kevin Momberg, says this practice run is dedicated to Madiba. We're dedicating this march for Mandela. You see most of the teams, all of them should have those that don't have posters or banners of Mandela. The idea is that each of them, every one of the teams, have something to, that, that associates them with Mandela. Because Mr. Mandela is obviously also a veteran of our organization. He opened the carnival in 1996 at Unicorn Stadium. As always, support for the minstrels are huge. Capetonians came out in large numbers to enjoy the showcase of costume, music and dance. We are here to celebrate Cape Town's New Year's religion. And it's a, a wonderful festival. We enjoy ourselves every year. It's a ball. We're having a ball of a time here. Because this is our culture. And people and children love these things. And that's a way, it's a way they parade. And they, well, they can make us children happy, we are all happy. The whole family here. Every year it's the same thing. Because we love it, you see. 
we actually grow up with the feelings and things like that. That's why we never miss it. Whether it's now New Year or whatever, we always hear. Mumbai says next year's big march will take place on the 4th of January due to clashes with Muslim traditions. Zaleen Merrington, SABC News, Cape Town. And that does it for a Tuesday edition of uh, Midday Live. Thanks to the team who put it all together, Mabubuloga and Budle Mutswaswe, Senior Producer Lungile Mabaso, Technical Producer Judy Motepi. My name is Bongi Kwala. Let's meet again for your midweek edition of uh, Midday Live. It's